Today we're going to be studying Psalm 8. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to read along. Psalm 8. What did your week look like this week? Ours looked like so many others this time of year, as we had the end of school with the thrill of a promotion to high school and all that comes with that. Family visiting and meals to prepare and logistics to be organized and finals to be taken and people to be ferried and teacher gifts to be bought and, oh yeah, there's regular life and laundry. Now perhaps you come today from a week that was full of life as well. Maybe you come today with the busyness of a work situation, a stressful work situation and all that has to be accomplished there. Maybe you come today not harried from a busy life or celebration or work, but worried about a situation in your life, a health issue that's going on for you, a relationship issue, the events happening in the news, or some problem in your life that needs to get sorted out that you're wrestling with. In the midst of our week, we can have some overwhelming moments. I had a few times this week where I just cried, and then I kept going. Now, sometimes we can feel the walls closing in around us, and we wonder, what did I sign up for? How am I going to make it through? Isn't our goal to complain? We have good lives. But rather to recognize that sometimes we have full seasons. We have full weeks, and our focus entirely stays in one place, and we keep our focus there until the anxiety passes or the situation is over and we can look elsewhere. Sometimes we don't want to even look at what's most pressing, so we deliberately look someplace else, ignoring what's in front of us because we want to escape. So this week, where have you been looking? Where's your focus been? Where we look, we will find our heart and mind This morning, we've been given good words from David, a poem written that allows us to pause from what it is that we've been looking at to focus on a whole different realm. Psalm 8 is an invitation to move our gaze from the worries we have, the responsibilities we signed up for, the pleasure we seek, the problems we face, and to shift our focus to our great God. The words invite us to take a respite from the world. That's why we've come into sanctuary today, to take a respite from the world, because they remind us to look up, to focus in on what is eternal. So hear a psalm of David, the shepherd and the king. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen 
and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, we pray that you would continue with us as we study these beautiful words and help us, God, to look up and see you. Amen. If one were to read the Psalms in numerical order, this would be the first one that is a hymn of praise. The Psalms before cover suffering of the persecuted. There are moments of giving thanks to God, but it is in the context of of them asking for help from enemies as they plead to God for help and deliverance. The writers are intently looking at their circumstances and then to God as they need help because they know he will save. Five of these psalms are psalms of David. If you were to read them in one sitting, you might come to Psalm 8 ready for a breath, ready for a little bit of a respite, and it does not disappoint. Spoken directly to God, we are privy to David's inner thoughts, and we are invited to participate with him in his contemplation. The psalmist invites us to put our focus, no matter what else has been clamoring for our attention, on matters more lofty. And we understand the imperative, as we read this, of remembering we are more than what we experience daily, no matter how important it is. David here sees the glory of the sovereign Lord through all that he has made. And as David looks, so do we, at God's majesty, at God's creation, and God's view of humanity. David begins the psalm by exalting God in simple praise. He calls God sovereign, Lord over all. He declares his majesty over the whole earth. He plainly states in the middle of his pluralistic culture that there is one God, there is one ruler over everything, and he is more important than anyone or anything. There is none like him. Here we see a plural, O Lord, our sovereign. In the Hebrew, there is a cool translation. It is translated, O Yahweh, Lord of us. The Lord belongs to all of us. How majestic is your name. Your name, O Lord, is majestic. It's good for us to think about some of the names of God as they lead us closer to knowing him. So let's think about a few of them. El Shaddai means all-sufficient one. Adonai means master or almighty God. Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner, the one who fights for me. Jehovah Rafi means the Lord that heals. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. Jehovah Mishai means the Lord is my refuge. We could spend a lot of time every day just thinking about the names of the Lord and what that means for us. God's names are always associated with his character and with his actions in the world. How is God making himself known to you right now? If someone came to you and they said, who is the Lord to you right now? What is a name you would give to the Lord? How would you describe God's presence in your life right now? David says, the glory of God is everywhere, even above the heavens. 
It is a truth that the whole earth is full of his presence, but the globe isn't big enough to hold him. So he sets his glory above the heavens so there might be more room. Still, his glory has no end. From Although this is his world, there are those who would oppose him. But it's futile. There is no competition. So he sets a fortress against them. The enemies of God don't want him to be the most majestic name on earth, the most majestic, the most beloved, or the most powerful. But they challenge him in vain because the Lord has prevailed and will continue long after evil is vanquished for good. Verse 2 is interesting to translate. It says this, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark, a fortress, that's a college SAT word, I think, because of your foes, to silence the enemy and the avenger. This is a verse that Jesus quotes in Matthew 21. It's Palm Sunday, and the crowds are shouting praise to him as he rides a donkey through the streets. Afterwards, he goes to the temple, and he's very angry. Because people there are selling and making a mockery of his father's house. And so he throws everyone out. And in the middle of the mayhem, as is typical at any church gathering, the kids are delightfully free. They're running around. Here's what it says. When the religious leader saw the outrageous things he was doing and heard all the children running and shouting through the temple, Hosanna to David's son. Can you get it? Have you been to a church potluck where the kids are just running around? They were up in arms and took him to task. Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes, I hear them. And haven't you read in God's word, from the mouths of children and babes, I'll furnish a place of praise. I love that. The heavens reveal the glory of God, and so do children, especially when they're taught at a young age who he is. They're not afraid to shout, Hosanna, Jesus loves me, and sing his praise with all their might. Little ones are unaware of the tension that exists between the world who does not trust in the Lord and those who love him with all of their heart. We should follow their lead in glorious praise to God who is great. Next, David focuses in on God's creation in verse 3. When we read these words, we see they are nighttime musings of who God is. A poem of one who is struck by the beauty of the world when the sky comes alive in the evening. What a reminder, I was thinking how some of our best prayers happen at night. When it is still and it is quiet, there's nothing that is demanding our attention. In the silence, our souls can connect with the Lord in a way that is different than during the day. I know many who have their best conversations with God in the dead of night. The imagery here is gorgeous. This is actually the sky over Israel. Think of the sky created, David says, by the fingers of God, the brilliance of the moon and the stars, the Milky Way and the planets and the constellations. Before there was television or much entertainment, the heavens were what provided the show. There's a reverent awe in the vastness as we look up to see the heavens 
full of wonder. We live in the most gorgeous art gallery ever. What part of creation has God given you to enjoy lately? How have you stopped and taken time to really appreciate his handiwork? Have you seen the moon these last two nights? Whoa. David saw a magnificence while he was out at night. We can be very moved, but we have knowledge that David did not. We have seen amazing images of planets and solar system and black holes and massive suns because we know that we are one galaxy in a universe with billions of them. He thought of his smallness just by looking at the sky with the chorus of night stars. Imagine his praise if he had seen the images through the Hubble telescope. God's majesty surrounds us in everything we see. It boggles the mind how beautiful the world truly is. As David expresses, our pride in how important we are takes flight as we contemplate the magnificence of God's world. It can cause us angst sometimes to think about how big everything is and how small we are. But David takes it to be deep wonder. He looks and believes in God, but also in what it means for him as he looks up. Christoph Sturm was a German preacher in the 1700s, an author who wrote extensively about the natural world. His work is still in use today. He actually influenced Beethoven quite a lot. He has a beautiful quote, although it's a bit long, it's worth hearing. There is great beauty in this starry firmament which God has chosen for his throne. How admirable are those celestial bodies. I am dazzled with their splendor and enchanted with their beauty. But notwithstanding this, however beautiful and however richly adorned, yet this sky is void of intelligence. It is a stranger to its own beauty, while I, who am mere clay, molded by a divine hand, am endowed with sense and reason. I can contemplate the beauty of these shining worlds. Nay, more, I am already, to a certain degree, acquainted with their sublime author. And by faith, I see some small rays of his divine glory. Oh, may I be more and more acquainted with his works and make the study of them my employ till by glorious change I rise to dwell with him above the starry regions. Just as we understand the mind of an artist when we see their work, we know the mind of God more when we take time to gaze on the beauty that he has made for us. So many of us spend a lot of time looking at screens or at things that do not display the glory of God. And David reminds us to stay acquainted with the works of the author of life. Lastly, David's stargazing leads him to consider who God has made him to be. He poses a question that most of us ask at one time or another, but he does so in a way that brings more meaning. Instead of just saying, who are we? Who are humans? He says, what are humans? that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them. He asks the question as it relates to the greatness of God that he is experiencing. Who are we, Lord, in all that you have made? The Hebrew here helps us a little bit. Mindful means that God remembers his people. He does not forget them, which David thinks is amazing given the grandeur he has created. 
cares for means that God visits his people throughout history. David would have known this to be true as God cared for the Israelites when they were in bondage in Egypt, but also how God helped him to slay Goliath and chose him to be king. God, who lives in majesty in the most glorious riches and is enthroned in power, remembers and pays attention to his children. This is God expressing his love for us. Verses 5 through 8 is rich imagery, of course, from Genesis 1. We recognize these words. David says the truth that God is our creator and that humans are crowned with honor, that we've been given dominion over the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the seas. As we read these familiar words, there are some considerations for us, things that we know, things for us to think about. There's an idea here of looking after something that is not ours. When has someone asked you to look after their child or their pet or their car? These requests come because someone trusts us to look over something that they hold to be precious and important. It's a huge responsibility to stand in place of someone else. The earth does not belong to us, but we've been given authority. God trusts us. God trusts us with his creation to govern in his place. It's a precious place. We are co-laborers with Christ for souls, but also co-laborers with Christ for caring and stewardship for the planet. There's a thought here, though, about being more than good stewards, but also making sure that life thrives. When you are given a responsibility for someone else's child or pet, you don't just do the bare minimum to keep it going. You help the child to thrive. You're acting in place of the parent. So, of course, our intention is to do no harm, but there's an idea here that we are crowned with glory and honor, that we've been given dominion, that we would act in a way that pleases the Lord, that would make him glad that he gave us this earth, that he has asked us to nurture and take care of his creation. So there's work for us to do. So we always need to be asking how it is that we are taking part in the work that he's given us to do. That takes many forms. But I think we should ask the Lord, how are we doing in taking care of what you've given us to do? May we see it as a privilege to cultivate the earth. I don't know how you came in today, where your focus has been, if you're overwhelmed or distracted in your soul. However you came, my prayer is that you would leave reminded of the powerful, awe-inspiring God who created you and loves you deeply. David finishes his poem the way he started it, with the majesty of God. David, whether uh, herding sheep or being a king leading people, had things to accomplish, but he took time to notice God and allowed that to inform his heart. In the end, he comes back to praise. That is the answer to his musings. Who am I, God? Who am I that you should care for me? He comes back to praise the Lord, the God of us. In his words that we have seen, no matter where we look, we are surrounded by God's beautiful creation in the heavens, in one another, in the creation he gave us to oversee. So as we leave here, we begin another, work, another week of the life that he has given us 
the things that we have chosen to do, along with some circumstances that we may not have wanted. Reading this psalm is a great way to start our week because we know there's going to be lots of people and decisions and responsibilities, ideas and work to do. So as we go, may we be reminded of David's perspective. Let's remember who God is, who he's made us to be, and may he be exalted over all in our lives. Let's pray.